Hello and welcome to Dementia is Global. I'm Fanula Sweeney. According to the World Alzheimer Report in 2018, about 50 million people are living with dementia around the world. By 2050, that number is expected to triple to 152 million. The Global Brain Health Institute works to reduce the scale and impact of dementia and protect the world's ageing population from threats to brain health. Based at both University of California, San Francisco and Trinity College, Dublin, GBHI trains and connects the next generation of leaders in brain health through the Atlantic Fellows for Equity and Brain Health Programme. Dr. Victor Valcourt is Executive Director of GBHI. I asked him to tell me about the Institute and the work it does. At its core, GBHI is a fellowship training program. We're training the next generation of leaders around brain health protection strategies. For us, the Brain Health Protection Strategy is a life course event from childhood to adulthood. We think about prevention in several ways. In a very clinical sense, it can be primary, tertiary, secondary. And what that means is not only are we trying to prevent it from occurring by protecting the world's aging populations from threats to brain health, but also thinking about people who have the disease or have early signs of it to slow down its progression or to increase quality of life when people do have the disease. So the prevention remit is quite broad. We hope to identify and curate the next generation of leaders from multiple professions and around the world who will take on the task of preventing the world's population from threats to brain health. You say multiple professions. Explain what the thinking is behind the diversity. This disease is far beyond a medical disease. It affects every aspect of somebody's life. It affects society. It's one of the most important economic drivers around the world, not only in the formal cost, but the informal cost. To think about solving this challenge for the world through a siloed approach of either clinicians or economic specialists, epidemiologists, is really quite naive. A lot of people do that in their own training programs that are very tied to what their specialty is. This is really an innovative approach of integrating those in a meaningful way, throwing people in a room together for 12 months when they come from completely different disciplines and completely different places in the world to see what comes of that. We don't teach, for example, a lot of the specifics around international epidemiology. The fellows teach themselves. They all know better than we do what's happening on the ground in their country. And being able to see that broad perspective from the fellows that you're sharing time with is much more powerful than if I stood in front of a class and taught it. That's what we try to do. As executive director, how do you go about working out the curriculum when you have this kind of diversity of applicants and fellows in the room for a year who have this on-the-ground experience? The core is making sure people leave with some important foundation in dementia and in the details. We do not want to perpetuate myths. We want people to be grounded in an evidence base. So we do provide quite a bit around a dementia evidence base and some core features around epidemiology, policy, and so forth. But then we create a lot of opportunities for structured and unstructured time for this interaction to occur. We try to provide reflective leadership training so people think a lot about how they fit into the picture and how they themselves are growing. And 
that core structure provides enough structure so that the unstructured pieces can really be the opportunities to learn. We also build in an activity that the fellows try to develop during their year and they leave with some funding to implement that activity in their country. That also provides some structure that's individualized. As well, they all have two mentors. They have a mentor that is from GBHI that understands what we're trying to achieve and tries to curate that experience. But they also have a mentor from the region they come from, their community. Somebody who can inform at a grassroots level, will this work? Where are you going? People who will champion our fellows as they return to their regions where they're going to have influence. Can you give a sense, a broad sense, of the different emphases in regions when it comes to dementia and dementia education and dementia general knowledge among the public and how that can help or hinder a fellow in their work? The variability of the needs in the places that we work around the world is remarkable. Some places do not have fundamental epidemiology. That is, their governments don't know how frequent this disease exists. Other countries know very well the frequency, but they're grappling with other challenges, perhaps some cultural challenges around preventable risk factors. So we have a broad heterogeneity of what the fellows are experiencing within their countries. How does it contrast in Northern Europe to South America or North Africa? Are there different challenges fellows are facing in terms of their work to fight against dementia? I'm thinking here about public knowledge about what is dementia and yeah. how much that's publicly known. That's the fun of my job, the heterogeneity, not only of the disease. I'm of the belief that dementia exists anywhere in the world. When I hear stories of different frequency of dementia, I often think it's the tools we're using to identify it or ways to identify it or how people have tried or if they've tried. So one commonality is that dementia exists around the world, regardless of what corner of the world you're in. How that's viewed, how it's seen by society differs tremendously. In some places, it's hidden within the social structures of family units. And in some places, there's value in hiding that because it's seen more as a detriment to the family or something that is negative on the family. Other places, it's not quite so. We know places around the world where elders are revered and this is engaged in society. So there's a very broad view on how dementia is seen around the world. And those are some of the challenges our fellows have. Some perhaps need to work a lot more on advocacy. Others need to work more on epidemiology. Others have policies where their governments have accepted them, but they're unfunded mandates. So they need to think about how we work with a policy that has no funding behind it to have effect. It's quite variable and it's really the exciting thing about our work. I find myself as a clinician doing a little bit of epidemiology, doing a little bit of policy development, doing a little bit of fundraising, doing a little bit of grant writing, depending on the needs and the wishes of the fellows that come into the program. You're a geriatrician and you've come into this role as executive director for how long now? Formerly since 2017. What attracted you to this? This started in 2013 for me when we first had a suggestion that there was a funder interested in this space. What attracted me the most was the global nature of the program. For 20 years, I've worked in an international environment. I've worked in Asia. I've worked quite a bit in Africa, of course. I've worked a lot in the United States. I find it incredibly satisfying to work with people around the world. And I think the heterogeneity I'm speaking to you about is really what's exciting about that. The cultural heterogeneity on how people implement change within their own communities and to be able to be behind the scene, to me, is fascinating. I would much rather see one of our fellows excel and 
be in the background whispering things that perhaps might work or might not work, or even just listening and reflecting to provide maybe a bit more sage insight into how things might play out. Well, let's delve a little deeper into that. We're here this week in Amman, Jordan, this week that's been co-designed with the Atlantic Institute, looking at various aspects of the effect of displacement on health. Talk to us a little about Atlantic Fellow for Equity and Brain Health, Talal Roussan is Jordanian. Tala's motivation, the work that she has been doing here, and then finally, what do you think has been achieved by the end of this week? Well, Tala, like many of our fellows, has a steadfast motivation around something she's experienced in her life. It's really remarkable how strong that motivation is around these individuals who have been disenfranchised for external causes. She and I have had many conversations where I've asked her specifically why are you continuing to do this? With refugees, particularly Syrian refugees. With refugees. And I don't ask that in a way to question it at all, but to crystallize for her this narrative that will help her gain money, gain power, and helping them gain strength and understanding, but messaging very, very clearly. In those conversations I've had, there's absolutely no doubt that this is her calling. What specifically is it that she is doing and has been working on? In the long term, the goal is to end what we have done with displacement. What do we know to date, evidence-based, about the effect of displacement on mental health and in some cases, an increased risk of dementia? People who are isolated socially do not have the type of stimulation we know is critical for brain health. Certainly living in food insecurity has stress on the body and stress is something that's not good for health. Some children in the camp may not even have, or outside of these refugee camps, may not even have access to the type of food that's healthy for the body and the brain. So there are many reasons why, particularly around the stress of what happens, that people will grow up or age when they are in midlife in a manner that is not healthy for the brain, largely around stress, stress of food insecurity, stress of economic insecurity, as well as the isolation from jobs, from society, from the groups, from the people, the cultures that you have. I just can't imagine a scenario where that's healthy for the brain. I'm not an expert on this, but these are really some of the determinants of a healthy brain. So the work Tala has been doing here for a number of years now, this week culminated in a group of Atlantic fellows from various programs, the seven programs, visiting among other places, the Satri refugee camp where she works. What kind of work is she trying to do there and achieve? Her work is broad, and if she identifies somebody who wants to work on anything that helps these people, I think she would jump at it. The work that she's been doing through GBHI is really trying to get an understanding of cognitive and mental health, in particularly that refugee camp. And when we first started thinking about what could be achieved, we were particularly interested in how long one might stay in the camp in the enclosed area and how there may be a tipping point that if people were somehow either brought into society or returned to their communities within a certain amount of time, you can have a protection to the brain, that there may be a cumulative effect that after so many years, it's a point of no return, that the trauma will stay with you for your life. So we were trying to understand whether we could inform policy by understanding if there is an incremental dose effect that occurs. Her early work, which she will be doing in the next year, is simply trying to categorize 
What does cognition look like in that population? What is the level of anxiety? What's the level of stress? What's the level of PTSD? And are there connections among those? She will be looking not only at people living in the camp, but people that are living in society as refugees to understand the differences in those two groups in trying to inform this question. As executive director of GBHI, what does it mean to you to see this kind of work in place and see it beginning to bear fruit and in terms of the wider Atlantic program as well? Without exception, there's not a fellow that has come through our program that is not exceptional in their own right. As a director of a program that curates that, nothing is surprising. Tala, like many of our fellows, is just simply exceptional. I don't feel that we necessarily have had large attribution to what she is doing. What we've done instead is supported it, we've championed it, we've connected to people who co-champion it with her so she doesn't feel so isolated. She is now part of a community trying to do this and she also has a lifeline to pick up anytime and know that she has support in the background to support what she's trying to do. So we don't take any credit for what she's done. She's outstanding. We take credit for being available to support it, to champion it, to tell her it's the right thing to do, and to connect her to the community that can be her network. And a community that's increasingly growing globally. A final question, what kind of person are you looking for to apply to the Global Brain Health Institute to become an Atlantic Fellow for Equity in Brain Health? We're looking for somebody, as Ian would say, that has zeal. Ian Robertson, who's a co-director of GBHI at Trinity College in Dublin. Yes, and he's helped us identify this word zeal, which is this energy that comes from inside a passion around something that they really want to accomplish. That's a critical component. The opportunities for us to have impact in this social, medical, economic challenge is in individuals who have completed their training that are starting to put their feet into the kind of work they want to do and can be pulled out of that environment for a short period of time to get a bump up in their leadership skills, to get a connection to a network so that as they grow in what they're trying to do, they have these resources around them. And there, of course, needs to be some connection to brain health. We are rather loose in some ways around that because there are so many different ways somebody can help with brain health, whether it be a reporter who can help share the message or a musician who is working with therapeutic opportunities, or some of the clinicians that will be leaders in countries that don't have, for example, a neuropsychologist. One of our fellows, only neuropsychologist in the country she works at. That individual is exceptional, but would benefit from this connection. So those are the qualities we're looking for because we see that our program can provide an incremental boost to what they're trying to do. They really do need to have some idea of where they're going for us to be able to provide that boost in a way that will allow them to continue on their trajectory, but with maybe a steeper slope. We'll leave it there. Victor Valcour, Executive Director of the Global Brain Health Institute. Thank you very much. Thank you. That was Executive Director of the Global Brain Health Institute, Victor Valcour. For more information, you can visit www.gbhi.org. I'm Fanula Sweeney, and you've been listening to Dementia is Global.